You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. A mysterious upsurge, New York Times, 102 Creating a baffling outbreak, CBS News, 1018-02. With new cases exploding in number and no one knows why, USA Today, 517-04. Is there an epidemic increase in the incidence of autism? To learn more, please join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Margaret Bauman. Dr. Bauman is an Associate Clinical Professor of Neurology at Harvard Medical School, Adjunct Associate Professor of Anatomy and Neurobiology at Boston University School of Medicine, and Clinical Professor of Pediatrics, University of California at Irvine. She is the Director of several organizations, including Ladders, Learning and Developmental Disabilities Evaluation and Rehabilitation Service, Today, we are discussing autism and the autism spectrum disorders. Hi, Dr. Bauman. Thanks for taking the time to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. Can we start with a definition of what is autism and its spectrum of related disorders, and how do we tell them apart? The current definition of autism comes largely from what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, known as the dsm 4 uh, because it's actually and it's in its, its fifth volume, but it's somehow got there was an interim one there, so it's now the DSM-IV. But in any case, this was published in 1994. The definition was put together by a very uh, large, reputable group of individuals who have been involved in the field for many years. And in that volume uh, is a category called pervasive developmental disorder, under which are five subcategories, one of which is autism. The other categories include Asperger's syndrome, Rett syndrome, childhood disintegrative disorder, and pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, now known as PDD-NOS. The original description seems to suggest that they're quite distinct. The autism category really is, there are several pages in this book that that, uh, try to define what autism is and isn't. You need to have three of these and four of those and something or other, and then you are then categorized as having autistic disorder. The reality is that there's a nuclear core group of symptoms that really boil down to impaired social skills, delayed and disordered language, an insistence on sameness or an isolated area of interest. Those are really the three core features. There are many other features that some children have, some children don't have. So, for example, stereotypic behaviors are, many people sort of throw that into this this, uh, required category, but in reality, studies have shown that only one-third of the children uh, with autism have stereotypic behaviors. So the real core group is this issue of, of social relatedness, of language, and these isolated areas of interest. The Asperger's group have been seen as um, there's been a great actually a great debate. Uh, it continues to be a debate about what Asperger's is and isn't. It's considered a disorder that's involving individuals who are very bright, cognitively, cognitively intact, but whose major problem is their social relatedness. Their language cannot be delayed by definition. So if you have a child who's atypical, but he or she has had a normal odd set of language, by definition, that person cannot be autistic. They would probably more likely be uh, an Asperger's child, particularly if they're bright. 
Rett syndrome children are had been thought at that time to be primarily little girls. It, at the moment, it's still primarily little girls, although some boys have been defined. But since that publication in 1994, we now have the gene for Rett syndrome, which was um, defined by the people at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. We now know that there are some mutations of that and so forth. So we have a, a much more objective handle on what Rett syndrome is. The interesting piece out of that, in my view, is that once we got the gene for Rett syndrome, we realized that the, the phenotypic expression or the characteristics of the children who have it was much broader than we had originally described when we just had a clinical definition to begin with. So again, that raises all kinds of questions vis-a-vis what autism may or may not be down the line once we get the gene or genes uh, for that disorder, which we don't have at the moment. And then there's childhood disintegrative disorder, which usually is uh, typically older children who, who seem to have been perfectly fine and then for reasons that are not totally clear seem to regress or deteriorate in some way and uh, develop autistic-like features. And the last one is uh, the pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified. It's a milder version of, of autism that some of the children will be more social, some of the children will have more language. It's not, I think, as well-defined as uh, the others uh, that I've just described. As time has evolved now, we're 13 years down the line here, and I think we've all come to realize that what we've probably got here are shades of gray among many of these disorders. So perhaps I think it's likely, frankly, that Rett syndrome is a separate disorder and whether it will be included in this PDD category the next time the dsm 4 comes out, I think it's not clear. But I think in terms of autism, Asperger's, and PDD-NOS, most of us now are talking about the autism spectrum disorders, by which we mean that we all think that this is uh, sort of shades of gray and that there are some kids who are severely involved and have more problems, and there are some kids who are mildly involved and have fewer problems, and there are kids who have something in the middle, and that this is all probably a continuum of some kind that we haven't really defined very well. I think the purpose, perhaps, of, of retaining some of these more narrow definitions probably relates to research purposes in the sense that uh, if one is di- doing a study on a subset of children, you'd really like to be able to define that subset more precisely so that, particularly if you're doing genetics, you'd like to have a well-defined, uh, characterized, uh, clinically characterized group uh, that were very similar so that you're, you stand a reasonable chance of coming up with a gene or genes that have something to do with the continuity of that uh, those symptoms. That's a wonderful working definition. And I have to pause for just a moment. But for those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me is Dr. Margaret Bauman. We are discussing the autism spectrum disorders. And we've just gone through a working definition, and I'm really glad to hear your opinion because I've always felt that we were just giving people a label because we didn't know what to call it. And I was wondering, are we also hedging a bit? Children are often diagnosed with, quote, asthmatic bronchitis because we don't want to label them as having asthma. If we could move on to the question of increasing incidence, is it real? Why is this getting so much play in the papers? Well, I think, again, that's a very hot topic, as you alluded to. There are sort of two sides of the fence here, I think. And probably the person that I rely most heavily on is a a physician by the name of Dr. Eric Fonbon, who's at the uh, University of McGill in, in um, Montreal. 
And Eric is really a wonderful epidemiologist and has really thought about this a lot, and he does clinical work and so forth. And his, his sense is that there probably is not an epidemic of autism, that what, what we're really looking at here are a host of factors um, probably doing with, largely with ascertainment. So, for example, since 1994, for example, we broadened the definition. Uh, we're including Asperger's uh, children in that, whereas before that time, those children were not included. We were, inclu- were including PDD-NOS children. We're picking children up much earlier. We've, we've really honed in on the fact that this is a genetic disorder, that children who come from families who already have one child with autism, younger children are at risk. So people are very careful about looking at younger children coming down the line. And so we're, we're picking up kids in there, you know, who are 12 and 18 months of age who we think are at risk or who have many of the features and putting them into services. Whereas when, frankly, back in the dark ages when I was a resident, I mean, if you defined somebody when they were six years old, you were doing a great job. Now we really are, are moving very rapidly down to the below three years, below two-year level. Uh, as much as we can. The idea, of course, being that uh, early diagnosis means early treatment means uh, better developmental outcomes. Uh, I think there's also the acceptance by the public, quite honestly, of this, this disorder. I guess it's what I call the Rain Man syndrome in the sense that I think Rain Man uh, was a wonderful movie, but I think it really brought autism to the forefront. I don't know that it was its its point to do that. But, you know, people saw this movie, you know, Raymond Babbitt really wasn't kind of a, uh, you know, he was kind of an odd duck, but he really wasn't all that bad. And he had some wonderful skills, and, you know, he was sort of a savant and so forth. And, and, and people kind of got to know a little bit about what autism was. And again, reflecting back on my own career early on in my life uh, as a physician, uh, there were times where I really thought a child was autistic, genuinely autistic, and I couldn't really have a parent accept that diagnosis. My child could not possibly be this, this, this. It has to be X, Y, Z. Nowadays, the parents come in, they have already heard about, I mean, it's all over, of course, all the PR is out there. They've read newspapers, they've looked it up on the internet and so forth, and they come in and they're already, you know, I think my child has autism or some part of autism, and I'm just here to see if you think so, blah, blah, blah. So they've already thought about it, uh, and when you give it, the diagnosis, there's an, I mean, they're obviously not thrilled by it, but they're accepting of it. What should I do? Where do I go? And they're already planning their strategies about how to help their child. This is very different than it was uh, 10, 15 years ago, in my view, uh, as a clinician. For those of you who have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me is Dr. Margaret Bauman. We are discussing the autism spectrum disorders. Quick question about, uh, again, incidents. What would be, what is currently thought to be the incidence in the United States? Are there geographical differences to other countries? What is the risk to siblings, which you mentioned? And are there any socioeconomic differences? The prevalence rates in the United States, there's, a, as you probably know, a new study that came out from the uh, Centers of Disease Control, CDC, which uh, suggests that the current prevalence in the United States is one in 150 children. Now, you, ha- you have to realize that that was a sampling. They pursued 14 states. They did not look at all 50 states in the United States, and this is just a United States sample. And they, by their own definition, realized that there were some states that had higher prevalence rates than others. And, you know, one could then say, well, you know, is that 
uh, because people live in areas where, where there's all kinds of horrible things going on and therefore there's higher incidence. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think, for example, uh, the, the people in Oregon told me that their, their prevalence rates are 1 in 114. I'm told in Alabama that that prevalence rate is very different. It's certainly not 1 in 114. And I think a lot depends upon who's seeing these children, who who's making referrals to get them in to be seen, how often they're being defined, et cetera, et cetera. What are, what are the facilities that are available uh, to children to be evaluated, uh, defined, and then, frankly, to be provided with services? And I think there are some states, some parts of this country that do extremely well doing that and are very vigilant. And there are other parts that aren't quite there yet. Uh, this still has some work to do. So it's, it's quite variable in, in throughout the United States, but I don't think it means that it's variable because you're living in a protected community somehow. I think it means that, that in fact, you may be living in a community where people aren't very savvy about it and aren't picking it up. I can't believe how quickly our time has gone by for this segment. I would like to thank Dr. Margaret Bauman, who has been our guest, and we have been discussing the autism spectrum disorders. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Good day and good health.